Good morning. This is Esti Schreiber from Living Naturally and the home of SA Natural Products. And with me in studio, I've got Dr. David Nadir, homeopath, but also the head of the medical and research department of SA Natural Products. Welcome, Dr. Dave. Thank you. Good to be here again. And the topic of today is one that every single mum, doctors, nurses, pharmacists, everybody needs to hear. It's called the first thousand days of a person's life. Tell us more. It's a very, very important topic. And I think, as you say, particularly any mother or expecting mother or someone who's planning a family, this is something they need to make sure they know about. I think most people know that nutrition is important in early childhood development, but I don't think they know the extent to the importance and the consequences of malnutrition during particularly these first thousand days of life. So what we mean by the first thousand days of life is more or less 270 days in the womb. So from conception up till the age of two. All right. So if you add all that up, that's 270 days in the womb plus two years of life. It's a thousand days. And essentially what is happening during this thousand days, just think about it. You start off as one cell, and by the time you are two years old, you are at least 12 kilos. So the amount of growth that takes place during that time, not only mechanically and structurally, but most importantly, the neurological development that happens during that time is essential and critical. It sets you up for life. It sets you up for life. And if things don't go according to plan or nutrition isn't optimal, during this vulnerable stage, these first thousand days, the consequences can be permanent. And there are various essential nutrients during this, during this time. And I think today we'll talk specifically about iron, but there are others. But, but the bottom line is during this thousand days, if mom doesn't have sufficient nutrients whilst carrying the baby and baby is not receiving sufficient nutrition in those first two years, obviously starting off with breast milk and then onto the correct solids. And if nutritional requirements are not met, the consequences may be permanent. And that led to the development and, and extensive research into this thousand days of life, which we're going to discuss. So where did this phrase come from, first thousand days of life? Who said it the very first time? So the concept of the importance of early nutrition has been known for many, many years. Specifically, the thousand days has been buttoned down by a group of researchers and then published extensively in in the literature. And uh, even UNICEF, together with researchers, have published and put resources and funding into the research on the thousand days. So if you go onto Google and you go and type in first thousand days of life, you are going to find a lot of information. You're going to get many hits. And probably the best source of information is a dedicated site called thousanddays.org. And this whole site is dedicated to this concept. It has all the research and the links, and it explains it nicely and gives useful information there. So that's a good source of of information, thousanddays.org. Yeah, so UNICEF, now who is UNICEF? The, the United Nations International Children's Emergency Fund. And that's an organization that was born out of the United Nations after World War II, specifically for the emergency funding of taking care of children. So this body is the body that has been saying to us for nine years already that we've got to be cognizant of the fact that there is the first thousand days and that that window period closes 
And then you are left with something, and that's what we're going to unpack today. What happens in those first thousand days neurologically, and what does mom need to do and parents need to do to ensure that that child receives everything that they need? Okay, so it's a complex combination of things that secure and promote optimum neurological development. And it's more than just nutrition, but of course nutrition is a major aspect. But research says that there are a number of factors that can negatively affect neurological development. Number one is poverty, and I think we can appreciate why. Emotional deprivation, and that's very important. Not being cared for. Not being cared for. Loved. Any form of psychological stress, so that would come in with with the first two factors. Getting a major infection during those first thousand days can set you on the back foot. And then, of course, malnutrition. So that is a huge aspect, and that's what we're specifically discussing today. But all of these things can lead to suboptimal brain development. So if you think about it, just, just looking at what happens with the brain in these first thousand days of life, by the fourth week of pregnancy... The fetus already has 10,000 brain cells, okay? That's by the fourth week. And you, some and women tiny. don't even know that exactly. they are pregnant then. Exactly. By 24th week of pregnancy, listen to this, the fetus has 10 billion brain cells. Wow. So in 20 weeks, you go from 10,000 to 10 billion brain cells. So that's just the brain. The amount of neurological development and all the neural pathways that happen and are set up during this time is, is you, you can't even imagine the, the quantity. And in order for this to happen from a nutritional point of view, there needs to be an ideal diet during pregnancy, but even before pregnancy. And then, of course, during Often. breastfeeding mm. um, and, and so on. So, and there's specific nutrients that are essential. And these include, number one, iron. Then, of course, protein, copper, folate, zinc, iodine, and essential fatty acids. These are the the nutrients that have been most researched and are the most important nutrients for neurological development. Just say that list again. So it's iron, adequate protein, copper, folate, or folic acid as we know, iodine, and essential fatty acids. Wow, copper. Yeah. That's so, interesting. Yep, copper is important for neurological development. Zinc, also a very important one. Yeah. Folic acid, um, and I think most pregnant women will know that get told to take folic acid. But that's just one of the many things that they need to be making sure they're getting sufficient quantities of. When you look at that infant from birth till about the um, one year of age, at birth there are now 200 billion brain cells. Eww. So you can just see exponential growth, okay? And the brain continues to grow by 1.7 grams every day. So every day, 1.7 grams additional brain mass. It's the fastest growing organ of the body when the baby is born. Exactly. And the amount of nutrition that the brain consumes during this time is 60% of the total infant's energy intake. Wow. It just goes to the brain. So you can see how much the body dedicates to growing this brain during this critical time. And it needs all the things we've mentioned. And, of course, it needs the nutrients that we – the specific nutrients we mentioned for this development to take place optimally. When they get to two, a toddler has around 100 trillion nerve cells. So you can just see what's happening here. I think it's important for us to understand what's actually happening physiologically and anatomically in the body. And we can now look at what can happen, what can go wrong if you don't have the right resources during that time. And the thousand days is this window of opportunity, but also a highly vulnerable period nutritionally for both the mother um, and the child. And 
probably the most important nutrient, um, if you look at deficiency levels worldwide, is iron. You know, we can talk about all these nutrients, but I think discussing iron is probably the most important one because iron is probably one of the most prevalent nutrient deficiencies throughout the world. So does it say that by two, the brain is developed? No, the brain's not fully developed, but there are certain critical things. So if you think about when you're building a house, you have to lay a foundation first. Even if you arrive with the roof and the tiles and the windows and there's no foundation, you cannot build a house. So what we are talking about is the foundation. Okay. And if the foundation isn't there, you cannot add the other things on. So there's an exponential domino effect if that thousand days and the nutrition during that thousand days is not adequate and if the foundation is not laid properly correct whatever structure is going to be built on it is not going to be as strong as it should be correct and this is what unicef and these researchers have gone and shown us yes and that specifically when with regards to iron there's been extensive research on the concept of residual brain iron deficiency what so, does that mean so what this means is that If the infant does not get enough iron from mom in those first 270 days and then for the next two years, the brain is absorbing exponential amounts of iron in order to support all this growth that we've been talking about. When the body is low in iron, it does two things. You get something called blood first, brain second. And what this means is that if your iron levels are low, the first thing your body is going to do with a little bit of iron it does have is make blood. Yes. Because without blood, you will die. Yeah, because it is what carries the oxygen to all the cells. Correct. So blood before brain. So when iron levels are low, the body's going to say, look, you know, we've, we've got low resources here. We, uh, all we can do is to support survive. the production of blood. Yeah. And brain will come second. This then compromises all this growth that we've been talking about up until now. What is really, really interesting and really sad as well is that the brain can absorb iron up until around about the age two. After age two, the brain can no longer absorb the iron that it needs. So if you don't get the iron you need before the age of two, and you now turn two, you cannot get iron into the brain efficiently. So, so you have something called the blood-brain barrier, yes. which lets certain things into the brain yes. and keeps other things out. Yes. Up until the age two, you can absorb iron into the brain. And then it's done. Then it's done. So after two, if you only discover that you're iron deficient after the age of two and you now try and supplement iron, even injecting it or infusing it in a drip, you're not going to absorb it. It's not going to get to the brain to do what it needs to do because it's closed and you've missed the boat, essentially. So that's why if you look at some of the publications, they call this the window of opportunity. So if you do not correct the iron deficiency by age two, you miss the window of opportunity. The damage is done. And, the, and this is what they call residual brain iron deficiency. What is that damage? There are a couple things. And uh, obviously because of all the development that's happening during that time, if the resources are not there, we spoke about making a foundation. you essentially going to make a weaker foundation. Mm-hmm. And research confirms that there are some specific things that are linked to this brain iron deficiency. If we look at these, um, not only is it risky for the baby in terms of life and death, We know children born to anemic mothers are often underweight. They have stunting, okay? Mm -hmm. They can be born too early, which is a high risk. 
Uh, they can have lower, what they call the APGAR scale. You know, when babies born, they measure functioning, APGAR score. They might even be stillborn. These are some of the, the immediate critical consequences of, of an infant being born to an iron deficient mother. But if the infant survives all of that and then goes on to become a toddler, research confirms that if they have low iron levels in this first thousand days, it negatively affects their temperament and behavior. Okay, so you see behavioral problems. It negatively affects their memory, concentration, and even their IQ. Wow. So that is profound. Their um, intelligence. And you can't reverse it. So even supplementing iron now is not going to change this. It can lead to mental and psychomotor deficits and abnormal reflexes, which is certainly something you don't want. It's even associated with an increased risk of mental illness later on in life, and as well as other less critical things, but certainly important, linked with poor sleeping, allergies, and wheezing and asthma. So you can see that the, there's a direct negative effect on neurological development and cognitive functioning, but there are also other physical consequences, including allergies and so on that we've mentioned as well. So the sad thing is that if you detect it after two, even if you give the best iron supplement, it's too late. It's too late. Wow. And this is called residual brain iron deficiency. Dr. Dave, why is this not shouted from every rooftop? Why is this not the first thing that a gynecologist tells a new mum? Why is this not something that is just said and known by every single pharmacist, clinic system, midwife? Why not? I think they know that nutrition is important, but they don't know the depth and the, the nitty-gritty of, of what aspects of nutrition, and specifically iron. If you look at the statistics, iron deficiency in pregnancy is not only in, in impoverished countries. Uh, if you go and look at the literature, even in the EU, the levels of low iron stores in women of childbearing age are quite staggering. So in most of these instances, you have something called high-calorie malnutrition. So if you look at certainly the impoverished countries, essentially you're filling bellies and and satisfying appetites with highly processed, affordable, starchy foods. So refined foods. So if you take rice and you polish away all the roughage, white rice, um, and that's stripped of many of its nutrients and minerals. Or maize meal, you know, refined maize meal to make porridge and so on. Or our wheat to make our bread. Or wheat. So it fills the stomach. You feel full. Your blood sugar levels go up. But So it's high calorie. So you feel like you're full, but you're malnourished. Yes. Uh, in impoverished countries, you have this concept of high calorie malnutrition. But then even in the affluent countries, people's diets are full of processed foods they are not eating the quantities of, of legumes and, and beans and nuts and seeds and green leafy vegetables um, in their diets. And uh, so these, this leads to consequences such as you know, not sufficient iron stores. It's important also to identify who is at risk. Yes. So who is the at-risk pregnant mom of developing low iron stores. And I think there's a couple things just so that everyone knows. Firstly, teenage pregnancies. This is an important point because remember, a teenager is still growing herself. Her iron needs are high because she is still growing. If she now falls pregnant, she now has the additional burden of the pregnancy and the iron, iron demand. So teenage pregnancies are high risk for iron deficiency. 
multiple pregnancies, so you having multiple pregnancies close together and you're breastfeeding for long periods in between, your iron stores become naturally depleted and then you fall pregnant again and you enter the second pregnancy with already compromised iron stores. So multiple pregnancies, teenage pregnancies, any mom who or pregnant woman who has a history of heavy periods prior to pregnancy, she may already be iron deficient. And then anyone who has digestive conditions that inhibit the absorption of iron. So that may also be um, a, uh, someone who's vulnerable. And of course, then your vegetarians are vulnerable um, as well because they are only going to be getting what they call non-heme iron from uh, beans and nuts and seeds. Plant-based. Plant-based iron, uh, which is far less absorbable than animal-based iron. Interesting. So they are also at risk. So and it's I think, because of that heme factor. Correct. Yeah. So, so that is something to be aware of and identify who's at risk. And if you are at risk then know how to check for it. Yeah. And then, of course, that person that is following a very starchy, full-up, satisfying diet, but it is a, how did you say? It's high-calorie malnutrition. That's it. High-calorie malnutrition yeah, so person is definitely. And also the person, if I think of the person in Europe, that that's, they've got the funds to do it, but they have such a limited diet yeah. or a very processed diet, yet they have the funds to be able to afford healthy food. It's just not part of their, their diet to It's just education. It. Yes, they just don't eat that. Their diet is for breakfast, I get this out the box. For lunch, I have that from the, the store downstairs. And for tonight, it's something that I'd, again, just take a sauce and something and put it together. Convenience foods. Correct. Yeah. And that is often how many people, some people I know of people, they cook on a Sunday and they eat all week on that food hmm. because they just don't have the time or the want to make a meal during the week because they're just tired. That also will compromise a nutritional need of the human body that is not being met. So that is the group of people who are at risk. Okay, so here I am now. I am a woman. I have now fallen pregnant. I hear about this first thousand days of life. I go and see my gynecologist. He does the test and he says, he confirms, yes, you are pregnant. Then in the first trimester, they do a whole batch of tests. And it's in that batch of tests that he checks for nutritional um, aspects of the blood. And that's when he will say to the mum, you are deficient in certain things. What are they testing and what should you as the mother ask for that they do test? Mm. So if you are lucky enough to have a gynecologist firstly That's who is true. testing this yeah. and who is actually running blood tests, then normally what they do is at best they do a full blood count. And a full blood count will measure your hemoglobin levels, but it doesn't, it's not a very detailed assessment of your iron status. So your body has the ability to store iron. Okay. And it does this. It stores iron in your liver, in your spleen, in your muscles, and it can then withdraw from that under times of increased demand. Okay. okay. So your hemoglobin test doesn't give you an indication of your iron stores. It says to you right now, what is your hemoglobin level in the blood? Okay. And that can change. And we know for a fact that in pregnancy, hemoglobin levels drop, irrespective. Every pregnancy, because of the demand on the mother, her hemoglobin level gradually drops from the first trimester to the third trimester. So if you are one of the high-risk categories and you do have the ability to go and have tests done, what should be done is iron stores. Or That's what, what you call, must ask for. Yeah, or an iron profile test. Okay. Because that gives you an indication of what your iron stores are like, which could be missed. So there could be an example where your hemoglobin is normal or within the reference range, but your stores are low. 
So maybe you've had two, three pregnancies prior, or, or maybe you've breastfed for two years yes. and you now enter your next or heavy periods. Yeah. Your hemoglobin could be okay, but your stores are low. And unless you do an iron profile test or yeah. an, what they call iron studies, you won't know that. The other problem is you, it's done right in the beginning of the pregnancy. So if you go in and your hemoglobin is borderline but within range, you are probably going to slip below the norm somewhere along the line. If not by the third trimester, then while you're breastfeeding. Unfortunately, this iron is not retested. It's tested in the beginning. If you're okay, you're okay. And it's not checked again during the pregnancy unless you would detect it as being full-on iron deficient in the beginning. So what, is your, so what is your suggestion? So the suggestion is to do iron studies, particularly in those who are vulnerable, and then at the end of the pregnancy, towards the end, recheck it and make sure that the iron status is, is good before the delivery. The other thing, if you can, and this is where you need to speak specifically to your gynecologist, is to ask them to take a sample of your cord blood at birth. Umbilical so cord. Umbilical cord. Since you don't have to put a needle into baby, but from the umbilical cord, draw a sample of blood and test the ferritin levels in the, um, in the cord blood. It's non-invasive for mom or baby. If the ferritin levels are low in the cord blood, it's associated with iron deficiency in the child. Yes. So that is a test that is simple to do. It's non-invasive. But if you don't ask for it, you're not going to get it. And that will tell you that this baby that's now just been born, what are they born with? Correct. What okay. are they born with? So a ferritin test. Correct. So will cord that, blood ferritin. Will that then also say what the baby stores are? Yes. Well, it correlates with what the baby's levels would be because okay. the blood is coming from okay. the placenta. Okay. So that is something that can be requested. And then to also check iron levels later on in the pregnancy, not just in the beginning. Check it towards the end as well. Or after birth, you know, because mom still has to breastfeed now for yes. a period of time. And baby needs the iron from the breast milk. So if mom's iron status is poor during breastfeeding, it means less iron's coming across to baby. Yes. So it needs to be checked then as well. Okay. So we are going to check for iron stores yeah. at the beginning when we have the, the first trimester tests done. And towards the end, the ideal would be to have mum tested again to see what she looks like in her final trimester and how her iron stores are. And then when baby's being born, to take blood from the umbilical cord and have the ferritin levels tested there. Then you know exactly what your child's stores are at that moment now you can still make a difference that's the that's the reason yes. why we are testing yes we can now make a difference yes and if the doctor now comes and says listen your iron is borderlining you now need to take iron my next question to you is firstly what foods is it that mom needs to ensure that is in her diet that she's eating throughout the pregnancy and breastfeeding in order to get iron into her body what are those foods? Okay, the best sources of iron are your nuts, seeds, legumes, green leafy vegetables. Okay, so from your plant base, those are your, your best sources. Interesting, there are some fruits that are fairly high in iron, like figs, for example, oh, are naturally high in iron. Delicious. So that's something um, that you could think about as well. And then organ meats are really, really high in iron. They are affordable. And, they, but, and they're really dense and well-absorbed. If you don't like organ meat, then, of course, any of your other meat sources, including fish, are fairly high in iron as well. Okay. So it's meat, um, dairy, fish, 
and then your your le- your legumes, your your seeds, your nuts are all really high in iron, and then your green leafy vegetables. Okay. So you need all of those, but interestingly, your plant-based iron is what they call non-heme iron. So the yes. iron you're going to get in your nuts and seeds and your leafy veg is less well absorbed than the iron you will get from meat. Okay. So if you are a vegetarian, you have to be extra careful because you might be eating all of those iron-rich foods, but the form of iron is not so well absorbed. Yes, it doesn't get So then get you in. might need to supplement. Okay. Yeah. So that is the kind of food to eat. So yeah. if I don't want to have the kidneys and the liver, because that's usually the kind of organs that people will go and eat is kidneys and liver, then if you are eating meat, make sure that you are trying to get grass-fed. That's the big thing, grass-fed, because that animal has consumed the land and not just a grain that they get fed in feedlots. Then it comes to supplementation. The doctor's anyway going to recommend that a pregnancy supplement is used and that he's going to put folic acid in there. Yeah. What kind of supplement would you recommend if this woman is now showing that her iron store levels are not as good as what it should be, her diet is limited, and her funds are limited? Mm. What is the best kind of supplement for them to use? So one that just comes before we actually get to supplements as pills as such is blackstrap molasses, interestingly, is quite high in iron and relatively affordable yes. as well. So and you can get it everywhere. So so that is a good food supplement in a way if you want to if you want to call it that. And it's nice um, tasting. And it's nice tasting. So that is one thing. Um, and then of course the foods. But if you have to take an actual supplement in the form of a tablet, um, and interestingly, Forbes Health published a list of the best absorbed iron supplements fairly recently. And if you go and look at the different, and I won't mention brand names, but if you look at the the type of iron, Mm -hmm. you will find that the best absorbs are your ferrous glycinate or iron glycinate. So you want to see that word. Or bisglycinate, B-I-S glycinate. So when you see that as the type of iron, in your supplement, you know that those are well absorbed. Also, the what they call a chelate or yes. chelate. Yes, it's, so, it's, it's attached. Correct. So, if you see those words on your iron supplement, you know you're taking a a well absorbable or highly absorbable form of iron. Okay, what are those words again? So it's it'll be ferrous or iron, one or the other. Yeah. Glycinate, okay, or bisglycinate, okay, or chelate, okay. And that's the form of iron that your body can absorb more readily. Okay. Whereas there are other forms of iron that are not so well absorbed. And, and often those poorly absorbed forms of iron can give you digestive issues like constipation, uh, which is a big problem because a lot of patients who need iron supplements stop taking them because it constipates them. Think yeah. about in pregnancy, you might already be constipated. And now you're taking iron, your your compliance will be less because you're not... It's causing constipation. Why would it cause constipation? It's, is it just because it's just not being absorbed? It's, it's hard to absorb. Um, and uh, so it's one of the consequences. But if you go for the glycinate or the, the bisglycinate or the chelate, these are more easily absorbed, okay. assimilated, less likelihood of, 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 um, of constipation and digestive issues. Yeah, now, that is just iron. Yeah. Now you want to have the full lot because you said in the beginning you need protein, you need iron, you need copper, zinc. you need zinc, you need iodine your, your, for your Correct. thyroid. All of those things are important yes. in if, that they say first thousand days of which iron is the number one one because it is we are so deficient in it in the world. Correct. Now, what will give you that whole picture? That whole lot. If I'm just taking iron now, what else would you combine it with? Is there another supplement that you give? 
you need to think about quality and quantity yeah. of what you're taking in. It's all very well taking in massive doses of something, but if you can't absorb it, what is it? What's the point? Exactly. So you need to think of the source of a product that is giving you what you need, um, the array of of the spectrum of what you need, and in a format that you can absorb. So if you look at, and probably the best thing to think about under these circumstances, not only during pregnancy, but even during breastfeeding and in infancy, is biostrath. Because in biostrath, you, you have exactly the spectrum that I've just mentioned. So you've got the 61 nutrients, um, so a wide variety of nutrients, including the important ones you've mentioned. Yes. But not only that, they are in a format that's highly bioavailable. So what this means is your body can take it and get it in. Yeah. And which is critical. Yes. And the reason for this is that the the, the nutrients in biostrath are in the intracellular format. It means they've already existed inside a cell, yes. the yeast cell. Yes. And now they can now go straight into your cells because they don't have to go through that extensive m- metabolic and breakdown digestive process. They can go straight back into your cells. We also have research on biostrat that confirms that when you give biostrat to pregnant women, they maintain their hemoglobin levels throughout pregnancy. So that's been published. So they actually did a clinical trial. And normally, as I said earlier, as you go through your pregnancy, hemoglobin levels drop as you start using up all your stores to grow your baby. Biostrat stops you from running out. So it stabilizes that depletion. And that's been proven and published. In addition to that, the latest, well, it's a few years now, but the, there's further research in this context which says that when you take biostrat, it enhances your absorption of iron by five times. So the iron in your diet, will you'll absorb five times more. Or if you need a supplement, maybe you are iron deficient and you're now taking a supplement, you'll absorb five times more of that iron than if you were not taking biostrat. So it's giving you its own nutrients, the 61 nutrients, in that absorbable format. But it's also stabilizing your hemoglobin in pregnancy and then, in addition, helping you to absorb iron better from your diet. Yes, and from your supplement. And from your supplement. It's just perfect to give. And that is what you can now use throughout the pregnancy when you're breastfeeding too because then it will go through the breast milk. Yeah, because your whatever if the if the mother's nutritional status is optimal, yes, the breast milk qu- quality will be, will be optimal. Yes, um, so then the infant, of course, gets that. Gets it, and if a mom is not able to breastfeed or she's going back to work and baby is being bottle fed, do the formulas have enough nutrients in them? Yeah, so the formulas will always have iron because it's critical, and and the legal requirements. State specify it. how much they have a minimum amount of iron they needs to be in, which which correlates with the with the minimum intake that the infant needs, yeah. um, particularly infant that's solely bottle fed. Yes. So they have to be able to get everything they can for the first six months from just that formula. So there will be iron in there, but of course remember, just because it's on the label and it's in there doesn't mean you can absorb all of it or absorb enough. So a catalyst like Biostrath, of course, enhances the absorption of iron. And hence why Biostrath can be given to babies right from day one of birth. And how do we give it to them? Just a dummy dip. Just follow the instructions on the Biostrath Bear Necessity box. It tells you exactly how much to give to children at what age. The details all there. If the child is a little bit older, you can gladly take the, a syringe and draw up the amount of Biostrath that they're going to be taking and then just slowly give them the Biostrath through the syringe into the mouth. Babies that grow up on Biostrath thrive. 
Babies that grow up on biostress sleep better. They eat better. Their appetites are better. They recover quicker from illnesses. They have stronger immunity against infections. Their brains develop well. And now that we know how important this iron store and that window period of thousand days are, it is critical that every single person that has learned about the first thousand days knows that there is a product called Biostrath, together with everything that Dr. Dave said, that that foundation is set perfectly in the first thousand days. Dr. Dave, what steals iron from the body? Interestingly, tea drinkers who drink black tea, which is the most common tea that's consumed, the normal salon tea. Yeah, with meals, the um, the tannins in the tea inhibit the absorption of iron in your intestine. So the tannins give the tea that bitter, astringent taste yes. when you drink it. And um, the tannins stop your body absorbing iron. So if you're already on the back foot and you're needing iron or you're eating a diet consisting of you know polished rice and mealy meal and you're not getting enough iron, the little bit that's in there... If you drink now a big cup of tea with your meal, you're going to further inhibit your absorption. So tea drinkers are particularly, you should avoid drinking black tea with meals okay. because that can inhibit it. Vitamin C, on the other hand, enhances the absorption of iron. So having some citrus or something with your meal can actually help the process. And then, of course, the other things that will not rob you of iron but prevent your, well, compromise your levels is if you have some sort of digestive problem in your gut. So maybe you've got an inflammatory condition or something that can inhibit the absorption. Particularly in the small properly. intestine. You're not digesting properly. Okay. Yeah. And then you? Well, then if, then you need to treat whatever that underlying problem is. Okay. Um, go and, and see your homeopath yeah. then. Go and see your doctor and let that be treated. Correct. But it shows you just how important the whole digestive process is in the absorption. Because it's not just what we're eating. It's how well we digest it, how well we absorb it, how well we eliminate it. That gives us a healthy blood that's circulating, that's nourishing every cell. And your brain is the hungriest organ of the human body. Whether you're a child or an adult, it stays the hungriest organ of the body. But this brain, up to the age of two years, has got a window that's open that says iron can come in. And after two years, that window closes permanently and says no more iron in. So we know now the best supplements. The quantity and the duration of using these supplements. Is it something to use ongoing during pregnancy and during breastfeeding, that's you, your, you should take between 30 to 60 milligrams of elemental iron. So um, you can see that on your supplement. We'll tell you how much elemental iron is in there. If you are anemic and it's been measured, then you take 120 milligrams. Wow. So it's much, much more. So if you take 30 to 60 and it's during times of increased demand, that's sufficient. But you shouldn't just indiscriminately take large quantities of iron ongoing unless you really know you need it because okay. you can get iron overload yes. uh, if you take too much iron. So, But you can fairly safely take 30 to 60 milligrams a day during your high-risk time. Yeah, because we've now heard that we've got stores. The Correct. body does go and store it. Correct. So it's not something that I have to use in large quantities permanently. No. But I've got to have a little bit regularly. Correct. And the diet should be the first place yes. to get that. Yes. Your biostrath to help with the absorption of that into the system. And then if still needed, you take a supplement. And here it's 30 to 60 milligrams a day as just a maintenance. 
right throughout pregnancy and breastfeeding. Of elemental. Of elemental. But if I am deficient, then it's 120. Correct. Until the test shows that I'm no longer, my stores are normal, then I reduce it to 30 to 60. Okay. So, and then before a woman wants to fall pregnant, it's ideal to just build up her stores and ensure that her iron levels are healthy because you don't know when you fall pregnant. And it's ideal to be in the most healthiest state. What an interesting subject to talk about and so important for civilization and for mankind. May this information be information that just spreads like a wildfire and that people know about it and talk about it and share it with one another because this truly impacts life. If the foundation of life is set, you can expect a man to be his best as an adult. Thank you, Dr. David. Most interesting. The first thousand days, Dr. David has written an article on it. And if you go to our Living Naturally pages at the top there, you'll see it says articles. And if you open up children, you'll find first thousand days. There it's all written for you. You can take that. You can print it. You can keep it. You can share it. Or this podcast. You can share this podcast again with other people too. But this is information that everybody should know. So for myself, Esti Schreiber, I say thank you again, Dr. David, for your insight, for your knowledge, for sharing it with us. And we look forward to next time.